Most gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we thank you on this Mother's Day that we can be gathered here into your house. Lord, after last Mother's Day, in which many did not even get to see their mothers, we're so thankful that things have improved and that people are able to, to be with their family more now. And we just give you thanks for that. We pray, Lord, that you would be with those who are traveling right now. We pray that you bless them with safety and protection. We pray again for all of the, the ladies here today that you would make this a blessed day for them. We pray, gracious God, that you would speak to us through your word this day and that your message would bring warmth to our hearts and draw us closer to you. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you join with me in our call to worship this morning? Welcome to this place of worship. Come in the name of Jesus Christ. We worship the God who bids us honor our mothers. Let us worship God in the name of Jesus and in honor of our mothers. Our opening hymn this morning is Happy the Home When God is There. And I'm not as familiar with this one, so bear with me. prayer time today. Let us come to God with a heart of thanksgiving um, for our mothers. And for some, their mother may not have been their biological mother. It might have been a neighbor. It might have been a grandmother. It may have been a teacher. But uh, let us come to God at this time with a heart of thanksgiving that gives thanks for those who have been our mothers. Mm -hmm. Let us sing our prayer hymn today. Savior 
Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let us go to God in prayer today. Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we come to you today, your grateful, thankful people. We thank you, Lord, for those who have been mothers to us. Lord, we thank you for your providing grace that you have given us, ladies who have been uh, models to us of motherly love, whether they be our biological mothers, our grandmothers, teachers, neighbors, or friends. We just lift them up to you, Lord. We give you thanks. Lord, we come to you today praying that you would grant travel mercies to those who are, who are not with us today, that you would give them your protection and safety. Lord, we pray for those who are sick and in need of healing, that you would give them your strength. You are the great physician, the great healer. We entrust them to you. Holy God, we come to you praying for the brokenhearted. We pray for those that this day brings grief and sadness. Pray that you would touch them and bring them your peace. Holy God, at this time we pray for our doctors and nurses and our military and law enforcement, Lord, our healers, our peacekeepers and peacemakers. We pray that you guide, direct, and protect them. Keep them healthy and well, but most especially let them know that they are never alone, but that you are with them. And we pray for all who serve, but especially the friends and family of these churches. We lift them up to you. Gracious God, at this time we come to you praying for our leaders in government. Both in our state, nation, and throughout all the world, we pray that you would gift them wisdom from on high, that they might do your will, that they might bring blessings to the nations until that great day comes, when your Son comes again and puts all authority under his feet, reigns forever and ever, and brings your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Holy God, we come to you this day, praying most of all for those that do not know you. We pray that you would use us as your ministers to share your love with them, that all might come to know the name of Jesus and be saved. Father God, all of these joys and concerns, we bring them to you and we lay them down at your feet in the name of your Son, Jesus, knowing you hear our every prayer and in the power of your Holy Spirit. We continue to pray to you this day the prayer that your son Jesus, the risen Lord of the church, taught us to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> our next hymn this morning is our hymn of faith, Faith of Our Mothers. We'll sing verses 1 and 2.
still in spite of dungeon fire and sword oh how our hearts beat high with joy whenever we hear that glorious word faith of our mother's holy faith we will be true to thee till death faith of our mothers we will strive to win all nations unto Our scripture for today comes from Paul's letter, first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 15. We'll be beginning with verse 12 through 58. Paul speaks to the church in Corinth and says, Well then, if the royal proclamation of the Messiah is made on the basis that he's been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no such thing as resurrection of the dead? If there is no such thing as resurrection of the dead, the Messiah hasn't been raised either. And if the Messiah hasn't been raised, our royal proclamation is empty, and so is your faith. We even turn out to have been misrepresenting God because we gave it as our evidence about God that he raised the Messiah and he didn't, if, if that is, the dead are not raised. For if the dead aren't raised, the Messiah wasn't raised either, and if the Messiah wasn't raised, your faith is pointless and you're still in your sins. What's more, people who have fallen asleep in the Messiah have perished for good. If it's only, if it's only for this present life that we have put our hope in the Messiah, we are the most pitiable members of the human race. But, in fact, the Messiah has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since it was through a human that death arrived, it's through a human that the resurrection from the dead has arrived. All die in Adam, you see, and all will be made alive in the Messiah. Each, however, in proper order. The Messiah rises as the first fruits. Then those who belong to the Messiah will rise at the time of his royal arrival. Then comes the end, the goal, when he hands over the kingly rule to God the Father, when he has destroyed all rule and all authority and power. He has to go on ruling, you see, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. 
because he has put all things in order under his feet. But when it says that everything is put in order under him, it's obvious that this doesn't include the one who put everything in order under him. No, when everything is put in order under him, then the Son himself will be placed in proper order under the one who placed everything in order under him so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what are people doing when they get baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead simply aren't raised, why should people get baptized on their behalf? And why should we face danger every hour? I die every day. Yes, that's something for you to boast about, my dear family. And that's the boast I have in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. If in human terms I fought with wild animals at Ephesus, what use is that to me? If the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink because tomorrow we're going to die. Don't be deceived. Bad company kills off good habits. Sober up. Straighten up. Stop sinning. Yes, some of you simply don't know God. I'm saying this to bring shame on you. But someone is now going to say, how are the dead raised? What sort of body will they have when they come back? Stupid. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. The thing you sow isn't the body that is going to come later. It's just a naked seed of, let's say, wheat or some other plant. God then gives it a body of the sort he wants, with each of the seeds having its own particular body. Not all physical objects have the same kind of physicality. There is one kind of physicality for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Some bodies belong in the heavens, and some on the earth. And the kind of glory appropriate for the ones in the heavens is different from the kind of glory appropriate for the ones on the earth. There is one kind of glory for the sun, another for the moon, and another for the stars. Since the, since the stars themselves vary with different degrees of glory. That's what it's like with the resurrection of the dead. It is sowing decaying and raised undecaying. It is sown in shame and raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. It is sown as the embodiment of ordinary nature and raised as the embodiment of the spirit. If ordinary nature has its embodiment, then the spirit too has its embodiment. That's what it means when the Bible says the first man, Adam, became a living, natural being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But you don't get the spirit-animated body first. You get the nature-animated one. And you get the spirit-animated one later. The first man is from the ground and is made of earth. The second man is from heaven. Earthly people are like the man of earth. Heavenly people are like the man from heaven. We have borne the image of the man made of earth. We shall also bear the image of the man from heaven. This is what I'm saying, my dear family. Flesh and blood can't inherit the ki God's kingdom. Decay can't inherit undecaying life. Look, I'm telling you a mystery. We won't all sleep. 
We're all going to be changed in a flash, at the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet. This is how it will be, you see. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead will be raised undecaying, and we're going to be changed. The decaying body must put on the undecaying one. This dying body must put on deathlessness. When the decaying puts on the undecaying and the dying puts on the undying, then the saying that has been written will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death wears your sting on. Death wears your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thank God he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus the Messiah. So, my dear family, be firmly fixed, unshakable, always full to overflowing with the Lord's work. And the Lord, as you know, you, the work you're doing will not be worthless. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the last few years, I've seen several articles regarding the perceived decline in active Christians in the United States. And they refer at times also to a growing group of so-called secular Christians. To the best of my ability, these are folks that look at the miraculous claims of Christianity and set them aside and basically say, we're just here for the ethics, the morals, and a side of good feelings. We're here to just do some good, but we don't believe in all of that miracle stuff. Many church leaders have been saying for years that Christianity has an intrinsic value to society and that it produces good morals. We have argued that Christianity and church helps produce law-abiding citizens. So now why should we be surprised when a growing number of folks that attend church don't even believe in the resurrection and they just believe that Christianity is a way to be a good person? Our passage from Paul today is going to throw a bunch of garbage on that idea and at the same time declare the centrality of the physical resurrection of Jesus to Christianity and how that good news is what truly gives us victory over death itself. It's not just about being good. It's about believing in someone who has beaten death. Paul established the church in Corinth. And one thing that a lot of people would probably think is, as, as much of a great writer and theologian as Paul was, surely any church founded by Paul would have its ducks in a row. But what we find about the church in Corinth is they are a total bloody mess. We've got all kinds of, of problems going on in this church from marital relations to, to arguments about who's the more important person in the church and so on and so forth. And Paul, because Paul would never stay in one place very long, he's gone on traveling. He's heard about the problems going on in Corinth and he's finally written them a letter to very lovingly and kindly read them the riot act. 
There was a certain group within the church that basically was trying to make it all about morals. Which makes some sense because Corinth was a Greek city and the Greeks were all about philosophy and it would not be a surprise if there was a few people in the church that said this is all about having a good way of life, a good wholesome way of life. And there's nothing wrong with having a good wholesome way of life. We want to have that. We want to encourage that. But that's not the main point of the Christian faith. Paul's words to secular Christians in Corinth that are just there for the morals. His word to secular Christians and religion makes us a good person people. Is basically saying, okay, if Jesus is dead, if Jesus is dead, then your loved ones that are dead will stay dead. When you die, you will stay dead. And there will never be any forgiveness of sins because you're dead. All our hard work to do good as Christians is pointless if Jesus is dead. Because if Jesus is dead, then everything we did will fade away whenever we're dead. What would be the point in doing good if Jesus is dead? What would be the point if all this is about is trying to be a good person. Because he says, hey, if we're all going to die and that will be that, then we'd be better off doing the whole eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. He's literally saying, look, if this is all there is and you're just here to say, I just want to be a good person. He's saying, hey, what would be the, you know, why if, if, if that's all that it's about? Because then when you're gone, you'd just be gone. Paul's practically saying, look, I'm suffering all this mess, all this persecution. He got beat multiple times and stoned. Finally, they killed him over this. He's basically saying, look, if this is all there is, why, why would I be going through all this grief and pain? He gets straight to the point. He says, if Jesus didn't rise, what is the value of anything that we do? Ethical living may look nice and make us feel good about ourselves, but if we do one thing wrong in this life, then we have caused heartache. And we can't say, well, I donated enough blood to save a hundred lives. Who cares if I lied to my boss on that report? Or who cares if I cheated on my spouse just that once? If we create just a tiny fraction of brokenness and pain in this world, then we are part of the brokenness and pain, and we are part of the problem. It doesn't matter how big or small we contributed to the problem of pain. If death is the end and there's no forgiveness, then we can't get past the fact that we're part of the problem. The only way for sin to be dealt with, and for there to be any hope is for death to be miraculously defeated in a decisive act of God's judgment against death. And Paul is basically saying here, it has. God has passed judgment on death. He has said death does not have the final say. Because Paul declares definitively, Jesus has been raised. 
Previously, I believe in the book of Acts, it says that over 500 people saw the risen Christ and not a ghost. They saw him alive again. By rising from death, Jesus is declared superior to death. If he can be raised himself from the dead, then he's bigger than death. All who die and are in his care will live again. Jesus will reign over all until death is defeated forever. This causes our actions as Christians to have meaning. And this is where the point is in being a good person. Because if we, if when we die, it's not the end, then it also means the good things that we did when we die, it's not the end. Our actions will have meaning going forward into eternity. The good that we do now If you think of it in terms of planting seed and harvesting crops, the good we do now is something that will go on into eternity. I can't explain how, but it will. So it's not just our lives that will be eternal, but it is the good things that we have done that will be eternal. This is where ethics comes in. With Jesus' resurrection, that means that our actions for good now have eternal impact. If you feed a homeless person and declare Jesus to them, you not only feed them, but you plant a seed of faith that will could, that could possibly result in them coming to know Jesus and them having life eternal and them being able to go on and plant seed in other people's lives. You see, this is how it works. We have good impact. on it's, it's the same as sin in a way, except in reverse. When we hurt someone, that causes harm to that person, which usually causes that person to harm someone, and so on down the road. But because of the forgiveness of the cross and because we have life eternal in Jesus, when we do good for someone in Jesus' name, that person will likely go on to do good for someone in Jesus' name, and it causes Elements of the kingdom to come into the here and now. As those seeds are planted and they grow, as I like to say, it's like flowers coming up through the snow. We begin to see glimpses of what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is why actions are important, but they're secondary to faith in the risen Christ. We do the good that we do not to earn praise in some worldly version of the heavenly economy, but we do the good that we do so that others might see Jesus in us and come to know him so that then they may be part of the kingdom. Paul also says that Jesus' resurrection gives meaning to the sufferings of servanthood. If Jesus conquered death, then the beatings that he received over his faith in Jesus seemed like a small price to pay for the eternal good that he was doing in preaching Jesus. Because again, he's saying, here's the thing, if Jesus does give eternal life, If the dead are raised because of Jesus, then it's worth taking a good beating to tell people about Jesus because that's going to save lives, literally. Paul also declares that the resurrected life that we will have in Jesus will be beyond the touch of death. We will live forever in Jesus. In defeating death, Jesus defeated sin as well. 
Death came into being as a result of sin, of brokenness in the relationship with God. In defeating sin and death, the great barrier between God and man is now gone, and we can now go into eternity as the image bearers that we were always meant to be. There's nothing wrong with desiring to do good. But only Jesus' death and resurrection can save us. If you are one of those folks who have been saying, I'm here for the ethics, spare me the miracles, I'm here to tell you that the ethics mean nothing without the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. And I'm also here to tell you that because Jesus Christ is risen and is risen indeed, then when we sacrifice of ourselves to help our neighbor, that it is an act of of not just doing good, but it is a strike against the crumbling stronghold of death, revealing just a little more of the kingdom of God. And it's all because, as Paul points out emphatically and definitively, it's all because Jesus is alive in the most literal way we can mean. Amen. As we come to the end of our service today, our closing hymn today is The Church's One Foundation, verses 1 and 2. close in prayer today. Gracious, holy, and loving God, we come to you praying that you bless us and go with us. Again, we thank you on this Mother's Day for those who have been our mothers. We pray that this would be a day of celebration. Let us go forth and, and share and joy with family and friends the good news of your son's resurrection. We pray that you would give us your blessing, protect us with health and well-being, Help us to go and do your will and be messengers of your son's victory over sin and death that others might be drawn to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, asking that you go and be with us till we meet here again. Amen and go in peace.